if Wendy's ready to go, I'm ready. Then uh, we're, we're going to go ahead and get started. And thank, again, thank you all for coming. So here's Wendy Sellers from Black Rain Partners. Good morning. Good morning. I'm really loud, so you won't have a problem hearing me. So I'm Wendy Sellers from Black Rain Partners. I'm actually on the South Brevard Sherm board as well. And um, I'm an HR junkie. So we're going to talk about today dealing with difficult people. Um, this is about an eight-hour course, and you're going to get it in about 45 minutes. So take notes, fast and furious. Um, and if you want more information, I have cards uh, over here for when, when, when we're done later. So this is what we do. We go into companies that are experiencing some kind of employee pain, and we fix it. That's the gist of it. So I'm a former HR director um, and deal with a lot of pain points for customers. Our whole point is to help them make more money or sustain their money so they don't go out of business. <laughs> so we keep the, bring the rain and keep you in the black. That's me, yay, different hair, same person. It's always a different hair with ladies, right? And if you uh, like what you're hearing today, always posting uh, free tips and tricks and um, you know comments and suggestions and we have white papers and case studies on our website so just connect us on social media. So jumping right in, because uh, I know we have a very short period of time, just be open to listening to you know, what new ideas today. Everybody, most people in here in human resources, or maybe risk management, insurance. So we hear, we get a lot of information thrown our way. So some of this information you're gonna hear today may not be anything new. It may just be a reminder, but hopefully you get a little bit of both. Feel free to ask questions, but we are limited on time, so if there are questions, maybe we can um, answer them afterwards. Um, again, it's usually an eight-hour course. We're doing it in about 45 minutes. So getting right in. What does it mean to be a leader? Anybody? Having patience. <laughs> Darn, I I'm, guess I'm, I'm not one. <laughs> Setting a good example. Making decisions. Holding people accountable? No. No. Holding people accountable is a pretty big one. Being positive? Somebody else? Proactive? No. No. No way. <laughs> These are all the things we wish our leaders would be, right? <laughs> it, what, is, what does a good leader do with difficult people? I love this HR group here. <laughs> Kick them out, deal with them. You try to fix them, you deal with them. You do the same thing you deal, do with anyone else if they're not a difficult person. You treat them fairly and consistently, but a good leader tries to find the root cause of why the person is difficult. Are they difficult or are they different? And that's the difference. Um, you can be throwing out a difficult person out of your organization, and there went the most valuable piece of knowledge that, that you have but because you didn't have the patience or uh, maybe just the knowledge or experience to deal with them, you lost all this knowledge or to, to fix them. In HR, we fix people all the time. Sometimes we can't and sometimes we like to just show them towards um, their next fabulous career <laughs> somewhere else. <laughs> but if you could fix them and everybody can work better together, what a win-win is that? It might still be a little annoying, but if you have the most valuable person in the area with that set of skills, it's, it's better off to try to fix them instead of throwing them out. So quickly, many people here have seen the DISC model of um, uh, personality tests. It's derivative Myers-Briggs. That's a whole other course. But just keep in mind when you're dealing with difficult people, 
Are they difficult or are they different? And once you can figure that out, if you can just figure out if they're different and say what is different about them and how could I change my behavior or my personality, maybe we can make this work. So there's four different personality styles, and we're not gonna do an activity because we simply do not have time. But there's four different personality styles. The top two, the D and the I, are very fast-paced. The bottom two, the C and the S, are more methodical in their decision-making. Uh, the two over here, D and C, are task-oriented, where the two over here are people-oriented. Those four things alone are completely different. I'm high D, like off the charts D, leaning towards I. <laughs> A few people in here know me and are shaking their heads. And so, you know, I want things done yesterday, and I'm more focused on the task. So I have to turn on the warm and fuzzy at times. If that person that I'm talking to has something that I need, and they're a warm and fuzzy person. Now all of a sudden I'm like, okay, I've got to start asking about the birthdays and things like that to get what I want. And vice, <laughs> vice versa, if somebody wants something from me, they need to turn that off and get right to the task. And then many of us who are on D&I need to learn how to slow down and let other people take their time in making decisions. So think about that with personality styles. Um, if somebody's different or difficult, they're usually more different. So figure out what your pace is, what your priority is. Is family is a task? Is it a fast pace? Is it more methodical? And remember that connections are made through pace. So if you're going into somebody's office and you're rushing them to make a decision and they're one that like, whoa, I need all the details, I need all the facts, your connection is already shot. And we, already, we all know that everything we do in life is relationships, right? Everything we do in life is about relationships, especially in human resources. If you don't have a relationship, and that could just be I met somebody and I made them feel good for two minutes, that's a, a relationship forming. If you don't have a good relationship with somebody, you're not even going to change their behavior, ever. <laughs> this works for your kids, too, and your spouses as well. <laughs> and then decisions are made by priority. Is it you know urgent, not urgent, important, not important? Is it a task? Is it a people? And so these are things that you need to consider when you're meeting people and you think, man, they're so difficult to work with. Are they maybe just different? Then we have generations. That's a whole other course that we do. But generations, people are different. They communicate differently. This is very high level. You know, everybody, if you're in the workforce, you usually use how to learn um, technology and maybe even text message. But generally speaking, the um, senior generation is write me, baby boomers is call me, Gen X is, text, is email me, and then Gen Y is text me. And Gen Z is, just look at me, and images pop into the thin air. And that's how you communicate. So things change over time. Why is this? It's because that's what was available when they were growing up. So email wasn't available to seniors or baby boomers when they were growing up. And you get used to what was available to you when you're growing up as a child, and that's what you kind of take with you. And so, this alone, if you're texting somebody and you're like, they never respond, and you're texting maybe a baby boomer or a senior, they're probably like, you're insane. Pick up the phone and call me. You know, or walk, walk to the cube next to me and come over and talk to me. But you might be thinking, they're so difficult. And they're really thinking, no, you're just insane. <laughs> so think about these things. It's always about you having to change what you're doing to get somebody to change what they're doing. So if you can change little things throughout your day, you can make a big difference. Um, not going to go too much into this, but this is just the differences in generations. 
you know, everything from the silent generation or seniors, those we'll call them vets, baby boomers, Gen X, millennials, and Gen Z. Um, there's been, the biggest thing that I can say is the difference is technology, right? There went from very little technology to holy moly, the millennials, the first millennial had the first laptop ever, and now we have laptops on our wrists. So it's like, that's a huge change, huge. And so there's been a lot of things that change and um, we, us old people may think that the younger people are difficult, but they're just like, okay, I don't even know what you're talking about because everything I do is technology. So if you want them to write a letter, good luck. There's also differences in communication styles. We know this in HR that people uh, learn, I'm sorry, not communication style, learning styles. So people sometimes um, learn by seeing or maybe reading. Other people have to do uh, or hear things. How many people are listen to you know uh, books on tape? Or what, I guess it wouldn't be tape anymore, right? <laughs> Books on iPods <laughs> and smart, smart uh, wristbands. <laughs> you know, so people learn differently. So if you're not getting through to somebody, you may, I usually say, let me just go ask one of my coworkers or colleagues if they can talk to them because maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm just a bad you know, facilitator and I can't teach them. Or maybe I can only teach in this one manner, but they need to learn in this other manner, and so somebody else can do it. Um, and I know you guys will, will uh, uh, agree with this. Just because you're the smartest person, or the you know the most knowledgeable person in a role, doesn't mean you're a good teacher, right? But we always seem to put the most knowledgeable person there is, say, oh, go teach this class, and like everybody's falling asleep. So it's like, no, you're not always the best, the best teacher, so sometimes you have to pair people up. So keep that in mind, again, when, they're, when you're saying, they have no common sense, they're just, I'm just not getting through them, they're not paying attention. It may not be the case. The case may just be that they learn in a different manner than you're teaching. And then of course we have cultural differences, um, which I would say, I would ha have to say most people here are extremely sensitive about because we, for the most part, are in human resources. Um, but there are a lot of cultural differences just from across the country Never mind, just across the state. I live in Orlando, not by the beach. We go a little faster, <laughs> especially on the roads, too. So it's, you know, and then I used to, I came from northeastern Pennsylvania and moved down to Florida. Holy moly, what a difference in the, in the way everything, the way you talk, the way you make decisions, the way you walk, the way you talk to people, strangers. Up there, you just don't talk to them. Down here, you do. <laughs> so there's a lot of cultural differences. And you know, if you're working with people that are maybe on visas and are coming in from other countries, there's huge differences when we, that we all you know have seen. Including, um, you ever been to with, talk to somebody from maybe another country and the personal space there is none. They're like, you're right here. Well, us here, you know, Americans are usually like, whoa, back off. But in other countries, that is common. And if you told them to back off, that would be extremely rude. So there's again, are they difficult or are they different? These are many things that you have to um, talk about here. So jumping right into this, effective communication always starts with you. Always sit there and think, okay, how can I have improved that situation? Again, this works for at home as well, or even arguing with your neighbor over their lawn or whatever it might be. <coughs> how can I have done something differently? Well, maybe I couldn't go in storming into their office and standing over their desk. What does that mean when you're somebody's standing over your desk? It's like a threat, right? I always say to people, if you're, if you're trying to have a difficult conversation with somebody and it's already a weird relationship, 
get down on the same level, you know, sit down. So you're both sitting down. If somebody's talking to me over my desk, I'm going to stand up so I'm on their level. But many people will just go, you know, I'm going to retreat, I'm going to retreat, and I'm going to not listen to anything, and then this is a pointless conversation. Now two people are angry, or one's angry and one doesn't care, <laughs> which is even worse. I'd rather have two angry people because at least you're, you're you know, there with the emotions. But speaking of, have a cool head and a warm heart. Um, you know, you walk into a grocery store, you walk into the 7-Eleven or a Wawa, whatever it is, and somebody is, you know, not, they're just not giving you the best customer service. I try to go above and beyond and make that person smile, crack a joke, do something. You never know what that person is going through. And we deal with this every day in HR. We, you never know what another person is going through. So try to have a warm heart, but at the same time, talk about accountability and performance. But, you know, without humans, none of us would have a job. We're human resources. And so we do have to turn on the human part. Even me, hi D, I know, okay, there's a time that this person's standing here crying and something's going on. I need to deal with this first and then deal with the performance later. So having a cool head and a warm heart. Sometimes this means you're going to have to go walk around this giant uh, shopping center here and take a lot of deep breaths before you have that conversation. Because if you are angry, you're not thinking with a cool head, right? And you're certainly not thinking with a warm heart. You may be saying things that you're going to later regret. Didn't mean, didn't, it doesn't mean you don't mean what you said. <laughs> but you're probably going to regret it on a professional level. Um, stay with the facts. The biggest thing, uh, again, we know this in human resources, stay with the facts. Um, I actually have a meeting after this in Orlando with a client that, you know, every, every, there's assumptions all over the place. And so I'm having individual meetings with employees of like, what are the facts? But, but, but she said that she always does this. She never does this. I'm like, okay, you use the word always and never. They just have to do the opposite once and now you've lost that entire battle. So stay with the facts. Don't throw out assumptions. Don't throw out words that are going to pigeonhole them. Because again, you could be losing the biggest part of knowledge of your organization with that one person walking out the door. Listen respectfully. Listen. What does listen mean? Doesn't always just mean hearing. Sometimes we listen just to hear what we want to hear, right? But when people are upset and they're in your office and they're blah, you know, they're crying and they're yelling and they're just babbling, take a, you know, take a pad and write down key words because that's where you're gonna get the information and then repeat back to them. This is what I'm hearing. Is this what your issue is? Because they're so upset and they're throwing things all over the place. This could be a supervisor or manager who has not been trained to handle emotions, but really listen and write things down so that you can say, okay, this is what I'm hearing. And this, this works great on the phone too because they can't see that you're writing things down, but at least you're, you're listening to them. And, they, and many times we know this, people just wanna be heard. They don't even want to file a complaint or anything, but they're just like, just want somebody to tell me I'm not crazy. <laughs> we do have EAP for that as well. <laughs> Understand the safety factor. Again, if somebody's coming towards you and you know they're, they're very angry, um, you may want to get out of your office or bring somebody else in or say, hey, I need five minutes and, and walk outside. Um, if you feel somebody's threatened, threatening you, um, just by standing over you or whatever whatever it is. And for us short people, that's pretty easy because they're always standing over us. <laughs> standing up, here's a key tip. If you want to get somebody out of your office and you're done with the conversation, but they don't realize that the conversation's done, you get up and walk towards the door, they usually leave. So you just walk with them. 
and then shut the door. <laughs> or I'll even go like, okay, and then I'll just walk somewhere else or go to the restroom or something and hope they don't follow me, but, um, and then go back. But usually when you walk towards the door, they're like, oh, this meeting's over, okay, I'm done. That's a, a little tip there. And make sure you're keeping the dialogue going. So these are six steps, um, and we, we partner with that Mind Edge. These are six steps that, for any problem, but dealing with difficult or different people that you need to you know, take notes on and say, this is what I'm gonna do moving forward. Address the unwanted behavior. So the first part of this was, okay, are they differ difficult or different? Make sure everybody's calm, nobody's about to you know, do something bad to themselves. We figured all that out. Address the unwanted behavior. What could the un unwanted behavior be? They're coming in late, they violated a policy, they're aggressive, it could be anything. Or they're just simply not meeting their deadlines. So address the unwanted behavior. Before addressing the unwanted behavior, do they know what their behavior is supposed to be? Do they know what their deadlines are supposed to be? Because now you may not need to be addressing the unwanted behavior with the manager who never told anybody about the unwanted behavior. That never happens, right? Never, everyone's always crystal clear. Everybody walks in every day knowing exactly what they're supposed to be doing and when it's supposed to be done and how they're going to accomplish it. Wouldn't that be nice? So sometimes you have to backtrack, get the information from the manager or the employee and go back to the supervisor and say, this is actually a management issue. This client that I'm going to after this, this is exactly what it is. They call this in to do this whole employee um, relations, um, you know, interference and, and I came back and said, this is a management issue. You guys have not told them at all what you expect from them and now you're mad. So that doesn't really work that way. Um, and you're gonna be losing two valuable employees that have been here. One was there, is there eight years and one's 15 years. And I'm like, you're blaming them because you didn't tell them what you want, when you want it, and how you want it. So addressing the unwanted behavior. I didn't just have to apply it. <laughs> The goals and have the, the manager employee um, reach an understanding of what's in what the behavior is or what the unwanted behavior is and what the impact is. We know as HR probably not. That conversation probably didn't happen. So this is what you need to be training your managers on. Having open discussions. If you are the HR person that handles everything all the time, all talk to the employee, please stop that. You need to get the manager to start having those conversations. If you have to take an extra hour of your time to role play with the manager so that they can do it, do it. Trust me, it will ease your burden that going down the road because now the managers are gonna start handling things and then just keep an HR in the loop. So you wanna make sure the managers are the ones that are communicating that. I would love for all the employees to say, oh my God, HR is awesome, they handle everything. But I would love it even more if they say, our whole management team is awesome. And I don't have to run to HR every time I have a problem because I can talk to my manager. Oh, it's, an, it's a program uh, or like a, a company that does online training and, and things like that. So this information is, is theirs, so you know, copyright and trademark, all that stuff. So we have to make sure that we say we got that from there. <laughs> Thank you for asking that. Um, make sure you're building trust. How do you build trust? Anybody? Yes. Do what you say you're going to do. By the time you're going to, you said you were going to do it, and in the manner that you say you're going to do it. And also, like you said, like, like setting clear, clear expectations. You know, being um, from the beginning. Yeah. So that you know, when you're having that conversation, it's not like the first time. Surprise! I want to 
wanted you to be doing this. Oh, I forgot to tell you. Now I'm mad at you. You know, trust is about being transparent, about being honest, giving as much information away as you possibly can. Not hoarding information, saying, hey, I just found this out in a meeting. I'm going to share it with my team. We know and as a HR people that we can't always share everything, but you could probably share a lot more than you think. And companies just think osmosis is going to work. It's not going to work. Osmosis does not work with humans. Maybe Gen Z or whatever's after that, it will work, but not, we're not there yet. So <laughs> you have to give information away. The second step with dealing with difficult people is active listening and discussion. Again, really, really listening, even through their babble and, and anger and crying or whatever it might be. What is the root cause of the problem here? What is the problem? What is really the problem? You know, oh, this person's angry. Okay, does this have any effect on performance? Yes or no? And, and figure that out, because there could be anger management, or, could they, or there could be performance and anger management. There could be a whole bunch of things. I find, and this is why I'm so busy and driving all over the state every day of the week, that 99.9% .9 of the time, it's a leadership problem. It's a management problem. It is usually not an employee problem. And it's all about how you deal with things. So making sure that the manager, or in this case, HR as well, listens to employees and talks, repeats back what the problem is. The role of the manager, not the role of HR, the role of the manager is to encourage open and non-judgmental discussion. That's hard. That's really hard, especially for certain personalities. Uh, it's really hard because you're, you're, you're tone, tuned to, into the task. And then you start going, okay, this person has been a problem child for the past year. Well, if a person's been a problem employee for a year, whose problem is that? That's a manager's problem because you should have done something about it. Yes. And then they just keep pushing it back onto the employee. It's never too late to stop. What it is sometimes too late to do is go backwards and get the trust. It's not impossible. I've done it with many clients and the trust can be rebuilt. But once trust is broken, just like in a regular relationship, it's either broken forever or it takes a long, long time to repair and it may not always be fully repaired. So we've got to get it up front and be clear with expectations. And understanding the employee's perspective. How many times, and, and I've done it, and I know you've done it, but you don't have to admit this, that you're just there and they're talking and you're like, hmm, I already know what I'm going to say. I already know the answer. I'm dealing with this every day. And so you're not even listening. So what does this mean? This means, yeah, mm, 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 stay away from me, I'm not listening. So be careful of body language, but really listen to their perspective because you may have this aha moment that you're like, oh, I got it, I got the root cause of the issue. And again, it's usually the manager or the leader, so it's pretty easy to figure that out. But what is specifically what the problem is? The third step, establishing needed changes and consequences. So the manager needs to state the changes in behavior that's, that they want. They tend to forget this sometimes. You need to be crystal clear. You violated this policy. Here's the policy. This is what's going to happen if you do it again. This is how I want you to fix it. The employee can say, okay, well, I never knew about that policy. Okay, you know about it now. Or I don't understand that policy. Because we never have any policies or procedures that are complicated and hard to understand, right? Oh, that never happens. Never. I was in a room the other day with a fairly large client. And we have the legal team and we have HR team, we have a committee trying to figure, literally trying to uh, uh, problem solve what the policies and procedures are 
for the HR department. And it's like a 4,000 person um, a college. And so it was just hilarious. Because we're like, oh, we're going to be in this meeting, knock out three policies. We're going to have two more meetings on one policy because we can't figure out what it means. And I guess we can't figure out what it means. The HR team and the legal team, how the heck do we expect the employees and the managers to comply? So get rid of silly rules. They're not written in stone. Even if they are written in stone, throw some concrete on that, cover it up, and start, and start fresh. Nothing can't be changed. Even if you have to go through board of directors and everything like that, it's a longer battle, but do it, because it'll be better in the end. You would have to, you probably won't even have to deal with this. So make sure they know what the consequences are. How many people use um, counseling forms or maybe performance improvement plans? If, you, if you're not using them, you should. Everybody hates forms. Everybody hates filling out paperwork. I don't care if it's on a napkin. Let them know, here's the problem. Here's how, what you need to do to solve it. Here's the deadline if it's you know a skill they need to learn. And here's the consequence. That's it. Very easy. And once you put something in writing, even if it's an email, I want to do text. We can't track them yet. But even if it's in an email, people go, whoa, this is serious. It's in writing. And then managers think, oh, I'm just going to throw that out there and it's going to stick. No, no, that's not how it works. You have to follow up with them a lot to make sure it works. And depending on the generation, you may need to follow up with them every single day. So making sure you establish this. And again, these are the role of the manager. You guys may just have to shepherd them along and nag them for a long time until they figure it out. And they say, this person's not going away. <laughs> I need to just follow these rules. Oop, a lot of the factors there. Step four, planning and goal setting. So the manager needs to assist the employee in their goals. Um, performance improvement plans, I just talked about that for a second. What is the purpose of performance improvement plans? Change behavior. What's the real purpose that managers use it for? Termination. We need to, and I appreciate that you all wanted to say it, but she's the only one that had the guts to say it. So. But many managers, most managers, most companies use a PIP to get the person out the door. It's performance improvement plan. It should be a performance improvement plan. That should be the real goal. And if it's not, then why bother? Now, if you're trying to you know, make sure you're avoiding some discrimination or something like that, don't call it a performance improvement plan. Call it a final warning. Call it something else, but don't give false hope when there isn't any. That gets you in more trouble. I've, I've had lots of success with PIPs. had failures with PIPs, too. We all have. We all know sometimes we put something in a PIP. It's kind of a waste of time, and we're just waiting out for 30, 60, 90 days to give them their piece slip and go. I say, just give it to them now. Hand them the 90 days and the sevens. Hello, what a win-win. Now you have to set up rules and guidelines and all this stuff for you know they're going to go, just get them out of there. You're going to pay them anyway. You're making all these people that work with them mad. Just give them the 90-day payout. Make these people happy. Yay! This person go find a job. Everything's great. we got a lot more details to work out on that plan. But <laughs> <laughs> you get where I'm coming from. If you're really not, and if a manager's really not going to change, um, have the intent to change behavior, then don't do a PIP. Otherwise, the manager has to be involved. When, when an employee is having a hard time at work with performance or behavior, uh, performance is a lot easier to change than behavior, right? Behavior is inherent usually in a person, but it's not impossible. I've seen behavior change. 
because they now know the consequences. I'm dealing with a, a small office right now and literally it's just been six weeks. It's not even a client, it's just a friend of mine. Uh, six weeks went from this person being, I was like, oh my lord, this person may come in and stab you in the morning, and now they're like a step for They're like, okay, because expectations were set. And I told him, the doctor, and I told him, I said, you're the problem. She's not the problem, you're the problem. And he's like, oh, okay. <laughs> Give me another glass of wine. <laughs> I'm not paying for this. <laughs> but he did, he listened, thank God, and said, okay, I need to set expectations. I've never had a job description. I've given, I said, there's, tell me what this person does. I'm like, there's too much on her plate. You're asking her to do this skill level, but the, she only has this skill level. There, you're never going to have that skill level together. It would be a miracle. So you need to change expectations and, and consequences. And, and it worked because that person realized she wasn't in charge anymore, that somebody else was actually in charge, and she's probably enjoying her job better because it's not all over the place, and there's, there's structure. <laughs> so it can happen. Um, specific, measurable, achievable, relevant, time bound. We know the SMART model. Do your managers know the SMART model? Even if it's, they don't need to be walking around going, I'm using the SMART model. I'm using this. They need to just know this is what we need to do. So create forms. Create something easy. Um, don't create a 12-page you know, performance improvement plan or a six-page counseling form. Keep it easy, keep it simple, or managers will not use it. It's just gonna go over their head. They're already inundated with everything the way it is, as are we. Keep things as simple as possible. When do I need to do it? What's, uh, what do I need to do? When do I need to do it? How do you want it done? Or how are we gonna do it? Because they may have a solution as well. The fifth step, active coaching and feedback. This is also something that we tend to forget dealing with dif difficult people. We forget this a lot, or dealing with just non-difficult people. Active coaching and feedback. Okay, this is where HR comes in and says to the manager, I wanna see your schedule, I wanna see your, your plan on this PIP or on this counseling. When are you meeting with the person? Oh, I'll set something up. Okay, I'm gonna call you again tomorrow. When are you meeting with the person? When are your free meetings this week? They just get busy and they forget. I really don't think that anybody comes into their job and says, I want to do a horrible job today. You know, I mean, there are some psychopaths that may think that way, but generally, the general public does not say, I want to come in and do a horrible job today. They're like, I want to do a good job. I want to feel like I didn't waste my time here. I'm not miserable. And you know, some people want to leave things at work and then come back and pick it up the next day. Managers are the same way, but most managers, I know this is going to be a shocker to you, most managers are not trained to be managers, right? They were the best of the best of whatever they do and they got promoted into a management role. I tell everybody who's about to be promoted into a management role, I'm like, you're not being promoted. You're getting a career change. Are you ready for a complete career change? Because you were really good at this over here and you really like this over here and now you're gonna be doing that much of this and this much of this. Do you really like people? Because if you don't like people, you might want to stick over here and stick on the technical track. There's usually a technical track and a management track. They don't have to be the same. If your compensation plans don't work and aren't um, you know, comparable on both tracks, do what you can to change it. I used to work for an engineering firm and everybody wanted to be in the project manager and the manager track because that's where the money was. As Soon as we changed it so that it was equivalent and all the levels were the same, 
oh, all these engineers were like, oh, I'm just going back over here to the technical. And we were like, oh, thank God, because you're a horrible manager. <laughs> but they don't always have the skills, and they're not always willing or trainable to have those skills. It, it does take a special person to be a really great leader and a manager. You have to like people, <laughs> number one. You have to like people, and you need to be dealing with processes. So make sure they're actively involved in coaching and feedback. Um, give them give them guidelines, give them tips, tell them how to schedule meetings. Oh, I'll do that next week. Okay, can you put it on your calendar right now or whatever type of um, you know, timekeeping system they use. But get ahead of the game and make sure the manager is doing this, not HR. You shouldn't be coaching an engineer. You shouldn't be co coaching a maintenance person. Now, if it's a behavioral issue, maybe you are helping, but the manager should be doing that and the assistant manager or the supervisor. So your job is to help them get there and uh, maybe to nag them a little bit to get it done and then eventually it'll come more of a natural behavior. And make sure that the manager is working with the employee, open discussion, trust, getting the employee's perspective to overcome any challenges. If they're not open to have those conversations, it's just not going to work and we're wasting everybody's time. And let's just, you know, end the employment of the employee and possibly the manager too. <laughs> the final step for uh, communication is monitoring and follow-up. So I just had a, a, a client who had um, a pretty high-level director on a 90-day tip. And we told the VP, this person is not going to work out. Just telling you right now, this person's not going to work out. We have two years to work with this person they would work out, but they are not going to work out in the next 60, 60 days, six months, even 12 months. They're not, they were hired into the wrong role. Not a bad person. Hired into the wrong role, no expectations, no goals, no mentoring, no coaching. Now a new VP comes in and says, this is what I expect. That's fair. That happens, right? We get that a lot. Puts this, uh, this lady on a 90-day tip. She starts doing well, but nowhere near where we need her to be. Honestly, not her fault in the wrong role. Takes them off the 90-day tip, within 20 days, calls and says, I want to fire her. And I'm just shaking my head. I'm like, okay, well, let's do it. He won't do it. <laughs> He's probably going to wait until the contract works out, which, you know, that, that happens too. But I'm literally looking at him going, this is a leadership problem. You are part of the problem. You are part of the problem because you're not taking action. You're not doing follow-up. I'm like, put her back on the pip. If you're not, if you're not um, going to make a decision, or maybe you don't have the authority to make a decision at this time, or it's not a good time to make a decision, whatever your excuses are or reasons are, then you need to put her back on the pip. And you need to be work meeting with her every week. I, when, she, when she was on the pip, they were scheduled meetings every week to see how the progress was growing. She started improving. Went away, no more meetings. Like, ah! <laughs> yes, I just like, let me just move in here for a couple weeks and you know, follow you around and ask you what meetings you're having. So monitoring and follow-up, even after a PIP, after a counseling session, after a coaching session, it's very important. We know this is very important for millennials, right? It's not as important for uh, seniors, if you have seniors working for you. Baby boomers, not as important, Gen X started saying, hey, I need, I need some attention. Um, millennials need a lot more attention, and we have to give it to them. And if we don't, they'll go somewhere else that those people will give it to them. So assess the ongoing outcomes. Again, this is the role of the manager. 
Start asking your manager, what has changed? What are the metrics? What are the baselines? Give me some re reports. They're like, metrics? What? What's that? You may need to help them, or you may need to get accounting to help them, or project management to help them. But it's very, very important. Identify issues or barriers. You know, it could be a, a language barrier, right? And we're trying to figure out all these things, and the supervisor speaks one language, and the employee speaks another. It could be, oh, you tell me to check my email, but you never gave me an email account. <gasps> no, that never happens. You told me to go put it on this website. I don't have access to that website. Oh, by the way, you didn't even give me a computer. I don't have a kiosk to go to. So it could be something very simple. Address shortfalls or gaps and celebrate accomplishments. This part right here is very important. When things are going well, we tend to forget to celebrate. You guys know me, I celebrate all the time. Woo, let's do this, let's go, I got here on time, woo! Gotta celebrate, because people need that. It's, we all are doing more and more and more and more and more and more than we ever did before. People need to celebrate. So there are the six steps. Um, I'm gonna kind of skip this because we don't have that much time left and I wanna get into a couple of the difficult personalities. Uh, there again, this is like an eight hour course so we're squishing it down here. So these are 12 challenging uh, behavior types that we're gonna go over just uh, I think three of them today for lack of time. So make sure you're focusing on the behavior, not labeling the, per the person when we're talking about behaviors. Uh, just like, you know, when you're talking about generations, you can't focus on age or if they are this generation or that generation. It's really about the behavior. So these are 12 behavior types. Challenging, or AKA difficult. There's the complainer. We don't have any of those. The disorganized, procrastinator, inflexible, unmotivated, overly sensitive, overconfident, a manipulator, socially challenged, overly social, the needy, and the bully. You've never experienced any of these, right? <laughs> so we're gonna go over four of them. Complainer, inflexible, manipulator, and socially challenged. So the complainer, um, this is hard to see, um, but I can, when I send out your, um, your credits, I will send you the, the PDF of this as well, so you can have this. Um, you just can't share it with it, you can show people, you just can't actually give it to them. Okay, <laughs> especially since you didn't all pay me $750 each. <laughs> so habitually negative and vocal about it, the complainer. We probably have some of these in our personal life as well, right? Just a joy to be around. Don't be that person. Not good faith complaints. So they're not like, oh, it's harassment, it's sexual. It's just, they just complain and there's no solutions. And they just like to complain and complain and complain. They sap motivation, waste time for themselves and others. They may be outwardly rude or passive aggressive. They may come across as good, good humored cynics like Dilbert, but we all know they're really complaining. They do not realize or care about the negative impact that they're having. And that may be something as simple as you need to tell them the negative impact they're having. I find that with really challenging people, not just different, but challenging people, no one's ever told me that, because they've been avoiding me my whole life. <laughs> They're defensive. They may cite companies' complaint policy or their First Amendment. They first go into defense mode. Motivations of why you would want to be a complainer. Um, experience, they have a history of unresolved, legitimate grievances, so now they're mad at the world and everybody's out to get me. Victim mentality, which could actually be an actual mental health condition. 
and that's when you need to send them to an EAP. We're not um, psychologists, even though everybody thinks we are. They have distrust of authority, which may have stemmed from childhood or maybe um, something happened at school. Attention, they want the attention to be seen. And again, it may be a mental health disorder. Um, I am dealing with a client's employee right now that actually um, has the victim mentality and it's built on a lot of things that happened in her childhood. And so they're like, can you help? And I'm like, no. We can't help. The only person that can help is her and a mental health care professional. Can't force her to go, so all we can do in that case is focus on the performance, and that's it. There's some behaviors you can change, but there's some you just can't. I'm like, there's no magic wand here. This person needs professional help, but we can't, um, we can't tell them that either, so um, you have to be careful about that. All right, that was my reminder that I have 10 minutes. I'm probably gonna cut five minutes into yours, just warning you now. <laughs> so I'm not gonna, I'll send you this video just because I, we don't have audio set up, um, but the consequences of a complainer are they waste their own, their own energy, compromise, and effectiveness. So they're just ineffective, and when people see them come down the hall, they're like, <laughs> hi. They distract coworkers who either pile on them or avoid them. They undermine leadership, and so they go around talking about leadership and they disrupt the mission and productivity. Moving on to the inflexible. Um, so going back here again, what do you do about that? You, hand, you, you focus on the performance. You focus on performance, you tell them your behavior, whatever, your outburst in a meeting, whatever it is. Um, three people told me that you said this. Did you say this? Because you never trust one person, right? You always make sure you get many witnesses. You've said this. You did this. You're, you've sent these emails. I have facts, not alternate facts. I have facts, not rumors. I have facts that you said this, did this, your behavior was this. What do you have to say about that? Do you know that it's affecting people in this manner? They may just not know. And then if they just keep doing it, that's when you have to start putting in the six steps, talking about the consequences, if you need to let them go, whatever it might be, but focusing on performance. The inflexible, the description for the inflexible, um, first thing is assess if it's really a personality difference. Because you may think they're, they're um, inflexible, but they want all the details and you're up here and you're like, I don't want the details, give me three bullet items. And they're like, no, 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 I'm in risk management and this is why I need all the details. So make sure you're, it's not just a difference. <laughs> they could be stubborn, old school, stuck in their way, or uncooperative. We never experience that. <laughs> they avoid change, whether in procedure, policy, holiday schedule, whatever it might be. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Ah, you hate that. We hate that. I'm like, let's try to make it better. Maybe, maybe we could just make it better instead of fixing it. Let's make it streamlined. The new method isn't proven yet. That's a valid point. If you're changing something drastic and nobody's troubleshooting it or ran through a procedure, they may have a very valid point. So maybe they're not being inflexible, they're just trying to do their job and give you other views. They emphasize risk and hur hurdles rather than benefits or advancement. We never see this when we're rolling out open enrollment, right? Oh, there's gonna be this challenge. So how do you get around that? You think about all the things that that person's gonna say and make sure you, you troubleshoot through it. 
or you get a task force together and you put them on it. It's probably going to be a painful one because they're going to be there, but that's when you have to, you know, what's my, what's my favorite saying? Suck it up, buttercup. You get them in the room and you say, I have this thing I want to roll out and I want you to break it. They're going to be like, yes, awesome. And now they're part of the solution. So you get them to be part of the solution. If you have a committee, you get them involved. You set rules and guidelines in that committee. If you have people that are gonna take over the committee, I do a lot of committees with employees, um, with companies that are experiencing challenges and I get the employees to solve the problems because nine out of 10 times the employees know what's going on and the manager may not know the details because not, that's not part of their job. So get the employees involved to fix it and set rules. Let them know when they can speak in the meetings. <laughs> there was one meeting I was in, it was so bad. This guy was like overtaking. I like had like an Aflac duck uh, on the table. And I was like, okay, nobody can speak unless you're holding the duck. <laughs> so I was like, okay, from now on I have committee rules of who can speak and all of these things. Motivations of why you would want to be inflexible or reasons. <laughs> They're problem focused. They see consequences, not possibilities. And that's okay, not everybody's the, you know, the po super positive, everything's gonna be great person. They may say, you know what, I wanna see, I see the things that are broken and I wanna fix that. If your personality is opposite, you're gonna already be like, oh, I don't wanna work with them. But we need them, we need those people. Values are mismatched, so they're not the right fit for the company or the department or the role. They don't have the same values. Uh, very rigid, they may be stuck in a pattern of thinking or behavior. They may have low risk tolerance. Um, many C-suite individuals, except for maybe CFOs, um, have like pie in the sky, 30,000 foot view of what's going on. And, and you know, says, okay, especially entrepreneurs, this is where I wanna go and I'm, I'm willing to take the risk. Many people are not like that will never go out on their own, will never take a calculated risk, will probably will never gamble, anything like that because they're like, I have very low risk tolerance. If your company or your executives and leaders have high risk tolerance, you're already setting this person up for failure and you have to have a lot of expectations spelled out in advance. Uh, they may not be creative or an innovative thinker. Uh, interpersonal conflicts, the resistance to a specific employee, we've never had that. Can't put those two people in the same room. Nope, they can't be on the same committee. And it's like, oh no, let's try this. I'm the person like, oh no, put them in the room. Let's go. Let's let's handle this. Let's see how this this plays out. If you set rules and expectations, you can you can work through it. You may need a strong drink afterwards or before. <laughs> <laughs> Arrogance. Um, they're averse to any ideas that are not their own. We've never had that either, right? Sometimes you have to let them think it's their idea. Shyness. Somebody may just be shy and they have really great ideas, but they never, nobody ever asked them to speak up. That's where things come in play, where you're sitting at a, in a meeting and everybody's talking, but this one person's not talking. They have to say, I want to hear from Sally. What, what do you think about this? It may turn feet red, but they're going to get eventually to get comfortable with speaking up. And again, there could be a mental illness, such as, you know, um, obsessive compulsive personality disorder that causes inflexibility. You can't say anything about that, right? You can just send them to an EAP and stick with the facts, stick with the performance. The consequences of being inflexible, actively or pa passively block of change, um, so there's no continuous improvement. This is the way things are done. 
that's it, my way or the highway, things don't change. They inhibit development of new products or services, ineffective and unreliable on, for when they're um, working on teams or with their colleagues. They are late on deliverables because they're always trying to you know, figure out the problems. They contribute little in team meetings and respond negatively. We all have them, we have them everywhere. I make sure I try to get them in the right role, make things as positive as possible, and then there's sometimes I either, I run interference before a team meeting to call this person in special and say this is what's going on, I'm gonna give you two days to think about it, but this is what's going on. And is that special treatment? Yes, did it just save 10 people a headache? Probably. <laughs> so sometimes you have to do that. Uh, inhibits the success of organizational initiatives like total quality management, Kaizen, anything like that. You know, anything that you want to you want to change things and improve processes, they may say, no, this is the way we, we do it. But what they really might be saying, this is the only way I know how to do it. So you may need to do some training. So ask yourself this is, and we're not again, we're not going to do a, a activity. Uh, I'd be happy here until like six o'clock. <laughs> That is, is an employee really inflexible? Is it a generation? Is it a training issue? Is it a management issue? Do they know their expectations and goals? Do they know the processes and procedures? Do the processes and procedures even make sense? Do they need to be changed? Can this person help change it? So you might be able to get an inflexible person to change a little bit by asking these questions and going through the six steps. The manipulator, we don't have any of these either. I'm dealing with a client with one of these as well. And the whole management team was blaming another employee. We went in and interviewed the two employees, and I was like, you guys are being totally manipulated by that person over there. They're like, what? Started giving them the facts. You know, I couldn't give them everything because it was a confidential conversation, but I'm like, this person over here is actually the problem, and this person over here is taking the heat for it, and you all bought into it. And um, still, they still didn't believe, didn't believe. I said, just go through the facts, this is what I want you to do. So gave them some of the six steps over the next, over the, um, it was like over a six week period and something happened that they all went O-M-G. And they call me, yep, everything just blew up and it all came back to this one person. So they spent, that was a lot of money they spent to figure that out just because they weren't looking at the facts. You have to look at the facts. So it's sometimes hard to recognize, they can be, um, sneaky and calculating. They maneuver to get whatever they want. They may have another personality or challenging behavior. This person in particular that I'm dealing with um, is a manipulator and use the victim mentality. And, you know, use it effectively, I might say. She was a victim of everything and got people to buy into that. But at work, you're not a victim. You can't be a victim unless it's harassment or bullying or something like that. Your this is your performance, you failed on it, why? That's, that's really all you need to come down to. So they may exaggerate um, a lot. They're very charming, very nice. Um, I don't mean used car salesmen in here, right? But you know, they're very, very charming. Um, they subtly undermine others' professionalism or integrity, and so they try to knock people down and say, oh, well, this person did that. Big deal, I say. People screw up all the time. I make mistakes every single day. That doesn't mean I'm gonna just walk away from things and knock other people down. They're not gonna be, they're likely to be very comfortable with their own behavior so they don't realize it. <coughs> and it conflicts with the other person losing. 
Um, the Motivations of a Manipulator, this is a good book, by the way, Snakes and Suits, When Psychopaths Go to Work. Um, it's, you know, when, yeah, it's good. <laughs> and a lot of these things here, again, you may not be able to deal with as an HR professional or as a manager, as a leader, so, so you have to stick to the facts. Stick to the facts. I wanted you to do this, when I wanted you to do it, and this is how I wanted you to do it, you failed at it. Um, consequences of behavior, all the steps that we went through. Again, it may be a mental health um, issue. And so the consequences of a manipulator, I think we can figure this all out. It's just bad. <laughs> it's bad for everybody around them. You start questioning your own sanity. Your team members start questioning their own sanity. It can, it can destroy the morale of the workplace and undermine trust on the team. And once trust is shot with one person and then a manager covers for that person, it kind of goes like, okay, I start questioning everything about this company. So tips for dealing with the manipulator, I'll send you all this, but it basically says, unfortunately, sorry guys, that you have to get HR involved. And this is when you're gonna have to coach them through the six steps, possibly a counseling program, <coughs> a coaching program, a training program, uh, performance improvement plan and or um, you know, get them out the door. But most uh, managers are not gonna be equipped to handle this without human resources or even a higher level um, of uh, you know, mental health counseling. So uh, if I was talk <coughs> talking to managers, I say don't handle this on your own, run to HR. Otherwise, usually tell them handle it on your own. So I'll send you guys this in, 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 um, in the PDF. And then the last one is the social skills challenge. Does anybody watch uh, Big Bang Theory? <laughs> Who is socially challenged? <laughs> Sheldon. Sheldon! We use him in a lot of our presentations. Um, a lot. So just think of him. Um, even if you don't watch him, you've probably seen clips. And, you know, he's social, he is socially challenged, extremely intelligent, but doesn't have um, empathy and learns it over time or, or sympathy and just sticks to the facts and says, I don't know why you're upset. These are the facts. And so... But we're humans, and that's not the way we typically operate. So they tend toward the extremes. They're, people say they're awkward in their own world. They might be loners. Um, behaviors may include avoiding eye contact. If people don't look you in the eye, you immediately go, okay, I'm not gonna trust that person, right? But it could just be they're socially challenged, or they may have, they may have um, a behavioral issue, they may have a form of autism, um, Asperger's syndrome, anything like that that does deal with socially social challenging behaviors. And so you can't always make assumptions. Again, you need to stick to the facts and try to help them. They ignore attempts to be engaged. They may neglect hygiene or even um, you know just dress code things like that, and ignore coworkers' complaints. Uh, may <laughs> may sometimes be seen so brilliant or ingenious that they are not expected to be socially adept. I worked in an engineering firm for 13 years. That's all I've got to say. <laughs> to work with engineers, you either love them or you leave. And so I've learned, I learned to love them, but I'm like, wow, these people are geniuses, but cannot communicate. But you figure it out, and you help each other, and you set up. Um, usually people like this are really good with structure. So if you set up structures of meetings, you set up structures of um, communication, teach them how to send emails, things like that, they're usually really good at dealing with structure and you can't just assume that they're gonna figure out by following somebody else's lead. 
motivations, they're poorly trained in social skills as a child, um, so they just didn't have a social skills environment. Extreme introversion or extroversion, not a whole lot you can do about that. That's up to the person to change that if they want to. Uh, and it could be, again, a mental health disorder. So the consequences of that, again, I have a YouTube video on Sheldon, so um, I'll send you, when I send the PDF, I'll, I'll try to send the links of the videos if I can. I know this one I can. Um, awkward at work environment. Coworkers often dislike the person, distrust them, don't want to work with them, don't want to be alone with them. Exclusion from normal workplace activities and social activities. Uh, there's some people who just don't want to have the darn birthday cake, right? And it's okay. If they're a manager, maybe you could coerce them to come out and have the birthday cake for five minutes with someone like this and they'd be like, no, thank you. Or they're going to take the cake and just go right back to their desk and not talk to anybody. Right? <laughs> Thanks for the cake. I'm here. I don't want to talk to you people. Isolation and discouragement and they undermine the employee's values of the organization. This video clip, if I had audio, it, uh, hilarious. If you ever seen this one, it's, um, it's uh, he's trying to get a job. <laughs> And he's like filing for unemployment. And he's like, oh, I can do that. Yeah, I don't have those skills. And she goes into another room, and you know, all you can hear is screaming. And then there's another video clip we use with him going to human resources and saying a lot of inappropriate things. But he's just like, this is just factual. I don't know why you're getting so mad. So it, it is funny. But it's like, okay, that's just him. <laughs> so to wrap, to wrap this up, some challenging behavior types you're not going to be able to solve because they may be above a corporate issue. Always just stick to the facts. Bring, bring everything back to the facts. Deal with performance, performance improvement, consequences, and make sure you're doing everything you can to keep that dialogue going even after it's been resolved. And again, don't think you have to do this. You have to coach your managers into doing this. So with that said, I know I went a few minutes over. Did you guys learn anything new? Do you have any socially challenged people that you're working with? <laughs> Do you have any inflexible people that you're working with? The inflexible are a little more coachable. Um, always just stick to the facts and tell people what their behavioral challenges are. No one may have ever told them, believe it or not. They may be 60 years old and no one's ever told them in the manner that you're going to tell them. They may have told them in a different manner that was completely ineffective <laughs> and rude and hurtful. But if you tell them your actions are affecting people and this is how, they may go, oh, wow, I never knew. <laughs>